Business Lesson 7, Time Poverty, Book 5, Business English, Vocabulary, Part 1, Page 54. Bracket, Extrapolate, Shirk, Plague, Domino Effect, Foster, Diminish, Let Your Hair Down. Article Part 2, Page 55. Can you give me a minute? How Time Poverty is Increasing, Science Fiction Meets Reality. 1. The 2011 sci-fi thriller, In Time, starring Justin Timberlake and Olivia Wilde, depicts a world in which time is a currency. Everyone has a certain amount of time shown on their arm, and when it runs out, you die. The rich literally have all the time in the world, whereas the poor never have enough. In our modern age, the world of film and our reality have started to get closer for many people, particularly those with children. Parents, according to UK statistics, have 14 to 15 fewer hours each week to spend than those who live alone. Single mothers are hardest hit, as they often find themselves without access to the support that higher earners have, such as nannies or daycare for their children. This leaves them trapped in a chronic cycle of social and economic poverty. Essentially, being in the lower income bracket means they are unable to devote the time to their jobs that would allow them to advance up the pay scale or spend time learning new skills. As in the movie, they are permanently kept in a state of low income, with no time to do anything about it. 2. The Causes of Time Poverty being time poor is defined as consistently having too many things to do and not enough time to complete them, and it's increasing. It has a huge effect on women particularly. Our always-on culture fetishizes productivity, and our work life easily bleeds into our personal time now, with emails, Slack, and Zoom often available on the phone in our pockets. When this is coupled with the vast increase in structured activities for children, such as weekend sports and after-school clubs, Parents can feel as though their weekend is just an extension of their job, still leaving them without a minute to themselves. It's not just children, either. Many families have elderly relatives to attend to, and the care is disproportionately done by women, even in families with both parents present. In developed countries, women spend twice as much time on unpaid jobs like cooking, cleaning, and childcare than their male counterparts. In developing nations, this can rise to around 3.4 times longer. Some of this is due to expectations of gender roles, but there's also the time consumed by what is known as the hidden load, that is, the planning and organizing of activities which also usually falls to females, keeping them busy for protracted lengths of time. This often has the effect of channeling them into part-time or less responsible roles, as they simply don't have the time to take on extra responsibility, despite being perfectly capable of doing so. 3. The Effects of Time Poverty being time poor can lead to serious physical and mental health issues, such as depression, burnout, and poor levels of sleep, which exacerbate the already difficult situation. When people don't have enough time, they are less likely to enjoy leisure activities or spend time with friends, which are important elements in a well-balanced lifestyle and help improve the general quality of life. There is also evidence that those suffering from time poverty are more likely to delay seeking medical help with a recent study showing that around 25% of women in America had put off visiting a healthcare professional due to a lack of time. In addition, time-poor people are also more likely to exercise less and eat higher levels of convenience and processed foods, further adding to potential health problems. 4. Possible Solutions There are concerns that the problem of time poverty will further deteriorate unless employers and governments intervene. Irina Sharayevska assistant professor at the College of Behavioral, Social, and Health Sciences at Clemson University, says policies are needed, which will support parents, 
such as guaranteed paid time off, as well as parental and family leave. She added that additional assistance was needed for single parents, low-income families, and families in rural communities. Parents need to be able to address their responsibilities to their children without fear of losing their jobs in the process. Listening, Part 1, Page 57, Script on Page 192. And today we welcome Jeanette Kaczynski into the studio. Thank you for having me. So you've got some tips for us on handling time poverty in the workplace. But first of all, what is time poverty? Well, as they say, time is money. And in the world of business, this is particularly true. People tend to put a value on their time, particularly when they enter a high income bracket. So people take the idea that if you're working, you're earning and extrapolate that to mean that if you're taking a break, you're losing money. People see their time as either working or shirking. The result is too many people working too much, with insufficient time to do all the tasks they need to do. Even if they have money, they have no time. They are also frequently plagued by problems with stress, personal relationships, and health. You can't spend quality time with your loved ones, if you're always working. It's much easier to devour a chocolate bar than to prepare a salad when you're on the go. So, time poverty can cause a domino effect. The trouble is working long hours doesn't automatically mean that the work you're doing is high quality. A 16-hour day will ultimately produce ever-diminishing returns as your brain and body start to tire. So, what can be done? The way we look at work needs to change. It's not about working harder, it's about working smarter. We need to make better use of the time that we do have and allow time for other things. Research shows that people who are well-rested are better at their work more responsive and more creative. We need to start seeing downtime as an essential ingredient to our work lives, not just something to be cut into when we need to work longer hours. Okay, what would you suggest then? You need to give your employees the freedom to take time off when they need it and not dictate when they can take it. Employees actually respond very well to being given freedom like that, and studies show that they will work much better, with very few taking advantages. Netflix pioneered a no-vacation policy, allowing employees to take as much time off as needed without being tracked. This means making sure the staff are responsible and have clear goals, knowing exactly what is expected of them. Managers need to openly use their paid days off and encourage positive talk around time off. One thing I do is set a competition every year where there's a price for the best holiday photo and get people to discuss their holiday plans and be happy for them when they are asked to take time off. You can make taking a break an important and acknowledged part of the company culture. That's a great tip. Do you think there are any downsides to a no-vacation policy? Obviously, there needs to be trust. You can have employees taking advantage. You can counter this, though, by having clear goals that they need to achieve that they are aware of. If they don't achieve those goals, there must be consequences. Equally, you can have employees not taking enough time off. You could get around this by having a minimum holiday requirement or ensuring that all employees take a minimum of, say, one week every four months. Do you have any other tips? Of course, it's not just about holiday time. Employees need to have regular mental breaks from work, encourage their hobbies, and get them to talk about them at work. There's nothing wrong with taking some time at work to get everyone together to play a sport or have an afternoon together. It's okay to let your hair down and encourage others to do the same. When they go back to work, they will be better for it. I know it's not always easy, and people have a lot going on with both work and family, but there is a lot of employers can do to foster an atmosphere where taking your break is positive and encouraged. Your employees will thank you. Jeanette, thank you. I'm just hoping my manager upstairs was listening to that. Article Part 4, Page 58. Flexible Working. 
Fred works for a traditional company that expects him to start at 8.30 a.m. and leave at 5.30 p.m. or later every day. Most of his work is done on a project basis, and as a manager, he is responsible for the quality of work that is produced and for meeting deadlines. On most days of the week, there is often extra work to be done on a project, and Fred stays late in the office or brings his work home. Occasionally, when he finishes all his work before 5.30 p.m., he finds himself hanging around, chatting with colleagues, and waiting for the time he can officially leave. With two small children at school, Fred has to use up his annual leave in order to take time off when his children are ill, when he wants to attend their sports day, or any time the kids have a half day at school. Fred also lives an hour's drive from his office, and therefore spends two hours a day commuting. In the interest of increasing productivity and making better use of his time, Fred suggested the idea of flexible working to his director. His director, however, rejected his suggestion, saying that he saw flexible working as problematic for the company. Fred's director isn't alone in this thinking. In many organizations, there is still a culture in which the employee who arrives the earliest and leaves the latest is considered the most hardworking. And many bosses still believe that they can't trust their employees to work remotely. They worry that there are too many distractions for workers at home, or that team working, and communication won't be as good if workers are physically disconnected from each other. Some employers think management is about the close supervision of employees to direct and control not just what is done, but also exactly how it is done. However, the nature of a lot of work today involves meeting deadlines, achieving certain objectives, and hitting targets. As most people who've worked in these kinds of environments know, productivity is less about how many hours you spend in the office and more about how well you meet those goals. Even though they're outside the office, the remote worker who is not meeting targets is quickly noticed. Micromanaging bosses doesn't help productivity either. In fact, research shows that controlling bosses can have a negative effect on their employees' performance. In contrast, giving employees the freedom to organize their working schedule to fit with their personal life means they are working when they are best able to engage fully with their work and are therefore more efficient and productive. Having choices in their working environment and timetable creates responsible and motivated workers who are likely to get better results, knowing they can meet the demands of both their job and their personal life. Whether it is giving employees the right to work remotely, offering job sharing or part-time working, or allowing non-fixed start and finish times, flexible working is not just about practical working arrangements, but also about a culture and a mindset. For example, many remote workers find themselves working past their working hours, partly because there's no commuting to mark the boundaries between work and personal life, making it hard to switch off from work. Companies might need to consider training both workers and management staff to help them better understand what flexible working is, how to implement it, and how to encourage a results-driven approach. Only then can flexible working truly result in happier employees, increased productivity, and better employee retention. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope that you enjoyed another lesson of Uncle Sam's American English. These audios are synced with our four-book series. Contact one of our professors or join our online course by visiting our Facebook page, Uncle Sam's International.